Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders and in this episode I'm speaking with legendary folk singer and songwriter Andy Irvine. Now, this is a very special episode for me. Uh, I've been a big fan of Andy's work for many, many years. Uh, so to be able to have this in-depth conversation with him uh, was really a great experience. Mm, Andy has been an immensely influential folk singer and songwriter for more than 60 years. Uh, he is uh, 80 years old at this point, but it feels like talking to a person half his age. Through his work with bands like Sweeney's Men, Planksty, Patrick Street, uh, and also his collaborations with folk singer Paul Brady, he has been a central piece in shaping the sound of modern Celtic music. I got to speak with Andy in Oslo just before he was about to play a solo show at a lovely venue called Riksen, and uh, our conversation revolves mainly around his work as a songwriter, because I strongly believe that he is one of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century. So I think that's all the introduction we need. So please enjoy my conversation with Andy Irvine. All right, I'm here with Andy Irvine. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anders. Very happy to be here. That's that's great. Like uh, one of the perks of running a, a podcast like this is that sometimes I get to meet uh, my heroes. So <laughs> I'm really grateful that you took the time out of your day. Ah, mm, pleasure. And um, we are actually in Norway, um, in Oslo, at a venue called Riksen. Uh, and you'll be performing here tomorrow, isn't that right? That's right, yeah. And um, But it's not the first time you're in Norway. No, it's not. I've, I've been in Norway quite a few times since... Uh, I, as we were saying earlier, I can't actually remember the first, uh, the first date that I came to, the, to Norway. But it, it would have been sometime in the probably probably in the 21st century yeah. but, uh, but not not far into it no okay um and uh like you actually played a show here only two days ago yeah yeah as well yes uh, which was um, a show in honor of your friend Lilbjorn uh, Nilsson yeah yes it was it was great to be invited to that uh, I, I I know Lilbjorn since 1977 I think and huh. uh and um, we've always we, we we're friends from almost the first minute we met. So, so for um, any of my listeners who aren't Norwegian, Lilbjorn Nilsson is like one of the big uh, Norwegian singer-songwriters from that era in the sixties and seventies. And um, so he might not be that famous outside Norway, but in Norway, like everyone above the age of twenty-five knows his name. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, why don't you tell me, like, how did you first meet? Well, we were. Him, he was on tour in Europe with with uh, Steiner Offstyle, yeah. and I was. Uh, I'm not sure whether I was part of a tour for a solo tour for me, but I, we met at this festival in Switzerland in a, in a, 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 a castle on top of a, a mountain called oh, really? uh, Lenzburg. Okay, and um, I think. I, it's it's what forty five years ago now, so I, the memory is a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> but uh, we, we we got together. I, I have a strange suspicion that we we felt kind of um, we felt like we were the, the only Northern Europeans there, okay. <laughs> and, that, and that that bonded us to a certain extent. Yeah. But we got on really well. We had a bit of a session after the, in, in the evening after the. I think the next day after the gig or something, and uh, and uh, we kept in touch since then. I didn't see him for many years after that, but we were always in touch. 
Um, although in 1977, I can't quite think how we did it because there were no no mobile phones yeah. and, and no emails. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We were talking just before we went on the air, like about how things have changed so much with technology and the whole music industry. Um, like you say back then, like just to, to keep in touch with people you met from other countries. Yeah. I've, I've even read an interview where you said uh, you, you were kind of exchanging letters with Voodoo Guthrie. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, not exchanging because uh, I was 17 at the time and uh, Woody was in hospital with his uh, the genetic illness that finally killed him, mm. Huntingdon's disease, they call it now. It was called Huntingdon's chorea at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the symptoms of that was that he was unable to control his limbs, so he couldn't write. Uh-huh. And uh, somebody told me that uh, if you got a bit too close to him, you were in danger of being knocked out, you know, because yeah. he <laughs> couldn't, couldn't control yeah. his arms. Yeah. Um, but he was taken he was taken out of the hospital at weekends by a couple called uh, Gleason, and uh, they they kept in touch with they, they they told me what Woody was doing and and uh, and I made I made tapes for him singing yeah singing really. his songs and apparently he sang along oh really so I can say <laughs> that I actually sang with Woody Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So you actually recorded physical tapes and sent them in the mail. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How things have changed. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But but he, he was uh, he was a big inspiration for you early on, wasn't he? He was my f- my first uh, big inspiration. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And and uh, through through my life, I'm still inspired by him. Yeah. What is it about him that inspires you so much? You know, that's a hard that's a hard question to answer because um, first of all, in 1959. The world was a much bigger place, obviously, because it uh, didn't have phone, mobile phones and things like that. And um, uh, I had no idea whether Woody Guthrie was famous or not. I'd seen his name on the back of a Lonnie Donegan EP. Okay. And I thought, Woody, a great name. I'd never heard of that before. Yeah. And, uh, and I was walking uh, in Soho uh, in London and... Um, I saw this record, this little record shop called Melodisc, and there in the window was a yellow LP, which I still have, called More Songs by Woody Guthrie and Cisco Houston. Yeah. And I went in and bought it immediately. And uh, as, I was, as I was leaving the shop, I thought, it's called More Songs. Like, uh, <laughs> yes. I wonder, there must be more. And yeah. so I said, uh, is this the only one you have? And, and they said, yes, yes. I said... Why is it called more songs? And and they said, oh, I don't know really. <laughs> but it was it was taken from an uh, American catalog uh, record label called Stinson. Okay. And many years later, uh, it came uh, another LP came out called uh, Woody Guthrie sings folk songs. So this is more songs. Exactly. And anyway, I got it home and I put it on the the uh, on the record player. And the very first, almost the first bar, I thought, yes, I found my inspiration. I, I knew I was, I knew I had a musical. Uh, my mother was a was a musical comedy actress, and so I knew, I knew that somewhere there was the music which would uh, play a big part in my life. And and I thought I found it. Hmm. And uh, so for many years after that, I, I was a Woody Guthrie copyist. Uh, had his had his Oklahoma accent down to a oh, T, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what it was about his music that like spoke to you? 
No, it's hard to say, really, because, I mean, he wasn't the world's greatest singer and he wasn't the world's greatest, greatest uh, guitar player. Mm. Um, but there was something, I, I, I don't know whether the word honesty would, would fit the bill or not, but um, everything about him uh, I liked, you know, and I, uh, even, like, um, politically, I, I was, was led by him, I thought. Yeah. You know, I thought, I mean, it, it seemed it seemed totally normal then, as it seems now, that uh, the, the socialist world is a much better one than a, a, a world where some a few people have nearly all the money. Yeah, uh, I agree. So yeah, so that uh, he led me generally uh, yeah. through my life. Yeah, because I can see many similarities between his work and yours. Right, like like you're obviously a, a more skilled player and singer in in air quotes or you are <laughs> but i feel like you also has that like honesty that you're describing like uh i've only experienced you live on a concert once at that house concert i spoke of oh, yeah. uh, but that's one of the best concerts i've ever oh uh, really great been. thank you and because i feel like you really yeah there's something uh you're able to like give so much of your personality on stage. And I, I can feel that the songs you write also, they come from a position of wanting to say something. Um, and I would, I would like to talk a bit about your songwriting because hmm. uh, I feel you're such a great storyteller teller with your songs. Uh, and that's something that really um, draws me to, to songwriters where they are able to tell that story. Um, and I, I I've learned a lot about history from uh, listening yeah, to your great, songs. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, that's great. That's uh, that's uh, yes. Um, it always it always pleases me when somebody says something like that because that's the point. You know, uh, if you sing a song about uh, Raoul Wallenberg, for instance, or or Michael Dabbitt, people sometimes people say, you know, I didn't know that. And I, I'm no. going to look into that a yeah, bit more. Yeah, same, like I had to go on yes. Wikipedia, like, who's, uh, who's this Ryan, yeah. Ryan guy? And yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and even like, um, uh, I can't think of all the titles now on the fly, but uh, yeah, union figures that I've no idea who was, but yeah. like, they have a really interesting history yeah. and because of your song, their Great. history is now like immortalized in a way. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. And uh, the the only trouble is that I, I before I write songs about these people, I I I feel I have to know everything that's in print about them. Yes, there must uh, be a lot of research that goes yeah. into. Yeah, and so my songs are always too long. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yes, I, it, it it's you know. I, the song like long songs about about people uh you, you can't do too many of them in a, in in one sure. set because there's too much information yeah yeah but especially on recordings like i feel like they really shine on recordings because for example that frank ryan song yeah i've heard it so many times and like i feel like i can pick up some small new details every time and great great to go on wikipedia yeah. who's this wow. guy and what's yeah. that brilliant so and so you're you're obviously very interested in history and yeah. and what goes on in the world. Yes, well, I I I, I realized a long time ago that the statues and, and things that one sees in every country are generally about uh, kings or people of power, mm -hmm. and they're very seldom about uh, about 
working people who fought hard for the 40-hour week or even, like, you know, yeah. and things like that. They are not celebrated no. uh, in the same way. So, uh, yeah, so I thought I'd try and even that out by, by singing songs about them. Yeah, yeah, and, and like, uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for really sad songs. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but... Sad songs. <laughs> oh, I specialize in them. Yeah, right. yeah, you're great at it. Like, <laughs> no... Like, who would be your main inspirations when it comes to songwriting? Songwriter, well, Woody Guthrie. I mean, I think I think very often I can hear uh, Woody's hand in, in in songs that I've written. Mm. Um, apart from that, I'm not sh- I, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's like if you ask me who who apart from Woody um, uh, inspired me. I'd have difficulty actually putting, putting, giving you names because, uh, like everything you hear, is has some kind of uh, effect sure. somewhere. With, without subliminal, sometimes you wouldn't know that uh, you'd been, you'd been uh, affected by listening to somebody singing a song. Mm. Um, so it's a difficult question to answer, but. Uh, uh, a lot of people have have inspired me, but Woody mainly. Yeah. yeah. What about like traditional folk songs? Is that something you take inspiration from? Yes, of course it is. Yes, the style of of, of writing is uh, is the, the folk art, all right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's very different from music that we're used to hearing these days, like pop music, where everything has to be like, you need, you have to get to the chorus within 10 seconds, otherwise people have left, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Whereas like in the folk song tradition, you can really take your time and, yes. and tell a story. Yes, I, I hope that's still true. Like people are losing their, their ability to concentrate more and more these days. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good. I, I'm... You know, I'm really glad that I that I discovered folk music, mm-hmm. uh, Woody, and after Woody discovered traditional music, um, and I'm happy to be in the situation of, you know, some people say, folk singer. That's not a very good word, and maybe it isn't, but it's, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I'm proud to be uh, in that tradition rather than being a pop singer or a rock and roll or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's. Definitely a good place to be. Like such a great scene, a great community. And a great community, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like As Lila Byron calls it, the folk family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how was it back in? I'm curious. Like sometimes I wish I I were young back in the 60s and 70s uh, because it looks like such an exciting time. Well, <coughs> looking back, it was an exciting time, mm. but. Uh, there was a lot wrong with it as well. Like, you know, the, the uh, well, what was wrong with it for me? Um, actually, nothing was wrong with the 60s. <laughs> where, where, where did you live in the 60s and 70s? In, uh, I, I was born in London mm-hmm. and uh, I, I grew up in, in boarding schools um, from the age of three and a half. I sent to boarding school at the age of three and a half, you know, which is... Oh, that's, uh, that sounds harsh. I never did discover the reason for that. Oh. But um, I, in 1962, I, I moved to Ireland. My mother was was Irish, and uh, how old were you at the time? Then? Um, Twenty. Yeah. 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 And uh, an island in the 60s was a very conservative place. It was it? a very conservative place. Yes, but I, I met uh, a whole bunch of people who were 
the same as me. Yeah. You know, I hadn't met I hadn't met uh, people like that in in England, but as soon as I I met uh, people who played music, and who had the same ideas and the same desires for for humour and uh, and uh, activity as mm. I had, it was quite startling to to uh, come across so many people who who I really liked for the first time. You yeah. know, I'd, I'd had, I hadn't had that many friends. In, I'd been an actor in London just before, well, from childhood, actually, but I'd been on the, the BBC Repertory Company uh, for two years just before that. Mm. And they, they were my friends. My daily friends were, were the actors and actresses who were uh, in radio. But they weren't... They weren't. Uh, they, they were work friends rather than close friends. Yeah. And um, when I got to to Dublin, uh, I discovered a whole bunch of people who became very close friends. And and it helped that we all drank in the same pub. Yeah, uh, that usually uh, helps. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it also that also helped because I I uh, I, I had uh, rented a, a, a room, a small. Uh, bed sitter, uh, just opposite the pub. So oh, I, very handy. Yes, it was. Yeah. And this is Odonius. Yeah, 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 yeah. And another uh, thing I've learned learned about from your songs, like you have a song called Odonius. Yes, you? yes. <laughs> it's a great description <laughs> of that life. Oh eh? uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke to um, maybe you know him, Owen O'Neill. Uh, oh yeah, from Dublin. Yeah, and he said that. Uh, Ireland back in those days were very conservative, yeah. but it was also full of rebellious people. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. So I suppose, um, yeah, it's a bit of a contrast. Yes, and I think it was good to be, to be rebellious. You know, like if, if I'd arrived in Dublin and and everybody had been uh, really unconservative, mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't have had that that feeling of of kind of them and us. Yeah, which which is good, you know. Yeah, that's that's something like one of the things about the seventies that I kind of uh, are fascinated about. Like things were a bit black and white, or like good against evil. Yeah, the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, old versus new, and yes. so many, maybe that's why there are so many great songs from that era. I don't know. Well, I guess that's true. Like <laughs> Bob, Bob Dylan and 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 his his lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but I mean, in Dublin, uh, like people say, oh, you were you were hippies. And I said, no, actually, we were not hippies. We we were um, we were before hippies. Like you know, we were beatniks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, we wore kind of uh, clothing that that didn't look particularly uh, attractive. We didn't we didn't try and dress attractively. No. And sometimes people in the street uh, would kind of look at you like that as if you just crawled out of a gutter. Okay. And uh, so that that also helped to um, to to make make the situation of of them and us, you know, which is it's not a good phrase that, but it's quite good when when you know who your friends are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like people would dress very like proper back in those days, like conservative. Well, some people. I mean, Ronnie Drew, for instance, of the Dubliner, was never seen without a suit on. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a necessity to to. Yeah. Oh. 
dress in jeans with holes in them. Well, yeah. Because nowadays people wear jeans with the holes in their knees anyway. Like yeah, exactly. Of style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were like ahead of the curve, I suppose. Yeah. 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 No, but I'm curious, like uh, you, you're talking about how the world was bigger back then. Uh, did you have, um, like, uh, did you know people from the other European countries who were also discovering, like, the folk uh, revival thing back in those days? Or? Um, that's a good question. Let me see now. No, I don't think, so. I, I, I'm not sure about that, but I went, I went traveling in 1965. Yeah. And, um... Where I no, it wasn't till '66, I think, but I went to Denmark, and that was probably the first time I, I'd encountered uh, um, a, a different tradition, and um, I think that's probably true to say. I, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, it might be that that we knew people from Brittany, for instance, but I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't quite place the date of that. But you said you went to Denmark. Like it seems like you were very curious about other musical traditions at an at a fairly early stage in your oh, yeah. career yeah well of course in 68 i went to eastern europe yeah to, well, what what what, uh, what inspired you to to make that journey well i think the 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 the, the tours i had done in 65 and 66 um just i got the feeling for the road like you know and um I didn't want to go, like most, in, in 1968, there were a lot of people on the road who had discovered, same as me, that you didn't actually need much money to go traveling. You just needed a, a thumb. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and um, uh, in deciding where to go, I, I, most, most, most young people were going much further east than that. Mm-hmm. They're going to Nepal and uh, yeah. India because mm. uh, drugs could be had there, and and the Beatles had been there, and yeah. uh, that was, the, I think, a, a lot of reason why young people went. I was a tiny bit older than than the the average uh, traveler on the road then, and I didn't want to go that far. I had no interest in in, in drugs or or Beatles or anything, and. Uh, I the reason I basically went to Bulgaria was because as a stamp collector earlier okay. in my life I had really been fascinated by the Cyrillic script. Okay. So you didn't have <laughs> anything to do with music at all. No, I didn't know. Mm. No, I had I didn't know anything about uh Bulgarian music at the time. Hmm. And I, I remember getting a, a lift in a, a lorry, which was very noisy and I'd I'd picked up a little bit of Bulgarian, but I couldn't really have a conversation. And the driver was trying to engage me in conversation. And when he realized that uh, it couldn't be done, he turned on the radio. Hmm. And in those days, uh, folk music was was, uh, played all the time. Uh, It was the kind of communist shop front uh, in in places like Bulgaria and Romania. Mm. And... um, and I immediately recognized it for what it was. And it took me a long time to, to figure out some of the, the, the time. Uh, yeah, it can be a very intimidating type oh, of music. Very, very <laughs> much so. And you have to listen to the, if there is a, um, a tambura playing, yeah. that will give you the, the, the rhythm. You know, it'll be a zip, 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 yeah. zip, zip, zip. But uh, if if there isn't one playing, uh, it was quite difficult in those days to figure out where the beat was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and 
Yes, it took me it took me a while to, to, to get the hang of that, and once I got the hang of that, I couldn't I couldn't put it down. Like, yeah, because you know. I feel like that has like really uh, had an impact on your songwriting and like your yeah. musical career. Yeah, yeah, it did, and it, and it had a great uh, effect on tr- traditional musicians in Ireland. Like yeah. you know, there's a lot of people. We're going to have to find a name for that genre. One of these yeah, it days, is definitely a genre. There's yeah. a lot of people who write. Uh, Write tunes in strange time signatures. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I feel like I mean, you've been around since, I've, yeah. Where like when Irish music kind of evolved into sort of what it is today, like the bands with the bazooki and uh, the occasional yeah. odd time signature and yes. like. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's so many. You've been involved in so many things like Planksty and Patrick Street and mm-hmm. your things with Bob Brady and. And we don't have time to talk about it all, unfortunately. But, <laughs> but um, like one thing, I'm like one of the most fascinating sounds I know is like the the sound of a mandolin and a bazooki, and perhaps a second bazooki or a guitar or something in an Irish band kind of setting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's just something about that combination that really, yeah. um, really I think, I think fascinates we, me. We invented that in Sweeney's Man, I think. Uh, yeah. Johnny Moynihan was a, a, was definitely a um, an inspiration to me. I can put, at least put his name forward as somebody who who. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard this story told in so many different ways. Like, why don't you enlighten me? Like, how how did the bazooki actually end up in? Oh, Ireland? okay. Well, that was. Um, I think you know we we played mandolins, uh, both of us. And uh, was that common at the time playing traditional tunes uh, on mandolin? Not really, no, no, it wasn't actually because the mandolin is too quiet. You know, like For a session, if you, yeah. if, to this day, if you went to a session with a mandolin, you wouldn't be able to hear it. Like no, um, but there was a desire, I think, to get a bit more body uh, into the instrument than than uh, a mandolin, which was quite high pitched, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think Johnny appeared. Uh, I, I had a, um, a summer uh, gig in Galway with a friend of mine called uh, Galway Joe Dolan. Yeah, and uh, Johnny was working. He at the time he was a he was a, um, not an architect because he never took the exam, but he was a draftsman uh, in a job in Roscommon, not too far away. So at weekends he would come. Uh, to Galway, and we'd play together. Mm. And one day he turned up with this uh, this Greek bazooki, and um, I do remember uh, we he took it out, and we thought, "What's that?" Yeah. And he played it, and we said, "No, no, that's awful. Put it away. You know, we should hear you play the mandolin instead." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he persevered, and and shortly after that, he uh, he discovered. Uh, a flatback one in in a uh, John Peer no no John Bailey I think was the maker mm-hmm. and uh, now somebody told him about this and said this, this is for sale and he got in touch with this man Bailey mm-hmm. and bought it and uh, he still has it and the, and the neck is really thin because I think it was made for six strings instead of eight okay. and to try and play it now is nearly impossible because the <laughs> strings are nearly next to each other yeah, okay. <laughs> but he he persevered with that and and that led on to uh, other people playing the bazooki and um, and I was a little bit later like Alec Finn yeah. uh, was playing a Greek bazooki before me I think and uh, yeah not not many people did that but like he he 
he kept he kept playing yeah. the Greek the Greek bassoon. Well, he did. He was a guitarist originally, a blues guitarist. Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure what year he would have uh, taken up the bazooki, but uh, he certainly made it his style. He made it his own. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, like, yeah, it only takes you two seconds to recognize the Danon, yeah, like, yeah. because of the Greek it's, bazooki. It's, it's very simple, but nobody else can do it. No. I haven't tried myself, but I'm sure I couldn't do it either. But <laughs> No, no, it looks very strange. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's not playing at all, but yeah, exactly, so much, so much exactly, sound comes out. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Wow, oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so, your, what what would be your first like bazooki mandola instrument? How did you? Get- um, well, I went to, on my travels in sixty sixty eight sixty nine in Eastern Europe. I um, I I was kind of more or less um, uh, settled in Ljubljana in Slovenia, oh, really? in Yugoslavia, as it was then, and. Um, Somebody came back from traveling and said they had given, they'd sold their blood in Greece. And I thought, well, and it was, it was 68, I think, and the, uh, the, the, the generals were in charge, the, the fascist uh, military was in charge in Greece. And I, I had avoided going there for that reason. Mm. But when I heard that you could sell your blood, I thought, I'm, I, may, I may well be able to go there without without uh, without spending even one drachma, like, okay. you know, and, and, and helping the, the economy, okay. uh, the fascist economy. So, <laughs> so I hitchhiked down to, to Thessaloniki and I, and I sold my blood, and I bought a bazooki with the money. Oh, really? And, and hitched back to Ljubljana. Great yeah. blood, yeah. Like high quality. <laughs> but some people overdid it. I remember a, a boy <laughs> called Alan who gave his blood three times in one day. Um, like, that was know. allowed, like? No, it wasn't allowed. So he had to, like, disguise different... himself in between the sessions or something? Well, it must have been in different hospitals wow. or something Sounds like dangerous. that. Sounds dangerous. Oh, absolutely. He was, he was <laughs> white as a sheet and, and hardly there at all when he was next seen. Like. <laughs> Madness. <laughs> Okay, so um, you sold your blood, you got a bazooki. Would, would that be a Greek bazooki then? Yeah. I suppose, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that was my first uh, bazooki. Yeah. <laughs> paid for with your own blood. Yes, paid for blood money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was not uh, actually not, not a thing really to be that proud of because I have a funny feeling that... Um, which I never considered at the time, that the hospital actually sold the blood uh, to the patient or the patient's carer. Oh, really? Yeah, so I mean, I wasn't... Uh, it wasn't it probably wasn't a good thing to do. But, uh, <laughs> Politics isn't easy. Well, yeah. At least there was blood. Yeah, and you got was, a bazooki. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at the bright side there. Yeah. yeah, and like ever since, like those types of instruments have been like a major part of your sound. Uh, I suppose whenever you write songs, do you, do you write with the bazooki or the mandola? Sometimes I do, yeah. Sometimes I would have a, a tune. Sometimes I would even have an arrangement mm-hmm. for, before, before I write the words, yeah. But it, it, it like songwriting is a really strange experience. I, I I've never been a, a I've never been a um, somebody who sits down daily to write songs. I, I I've only ever written songs when the the muse visits me okay but sometimes when you when you start to do it you go into a, a different space and hours pass mm-hmm. and you come out the other end with this lovely thing that you can't stop playing mm. and you look at your watch and it's kind of uh 
11 o'clock in the morning and you'd been at it since uh, 11 o'clock at night or something. Yeah. And, and you, if you try and remember, how did, I, how did I get to this point? There's a lot of trial and error, you know. You'd, you'd play a chord and you think, no, that's not quite right. And, and you'd, you, you know, you'd, you'd kind of uh, dismiss various uh, processes as you mm -hmm. went along. And mm. what you came up with at the end was what, what was left. Yeah. yeah. Is it an enjoyable experience for you, writing songs? Is it hard work? I can't remember. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very enjoyable when, when, when you, have you come out at the end, yeah. you know, and you can't stop playing it. And uh, what I used to do sometimes was, uh, okay, I'm going to play it again, and play it again. And you think, right, okay, I'm going to play it as if I was in uh, the, the National Concert Hall or something, you mm -hmm. know, and the audience is there and... and and then, of course, you make a mistake in, in the middle of it, and it's yeah. kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, reasons for playing it again and again and again. Couldn't, mm. couldn't, couldn't let it go, yeah. And I feel like you don't make it easy for yourself when you write songs because like, often very complicated arrangements, especially when you're going to sing at the same time. I don't yeah. know how you do it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just... I have that facility. I, I'm, I'm not sure why. I'm... Schizophrenic, probably. Yeah, but, you must uh, be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've always found I could, I could play something different uh, while while singing uh, a tune, and mm. uh, and I like that because it, it, it I, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been in bands, but I, I consider myself really a, a soloist, mm -hmm. and. Um, it gives you another voice. It's like it's like uh, two people, you know, it's like being yeah, beside yourself. Yeah, and with the harmonica as well. Like yeah. it's such a great well, that's yeah, that, that's uh, that's Woody. My harmonica playing is yeah, yeah. I heard you said he, he did. Woody play the uh, harmonica backwards as well. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, upside down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he wrote a thing uh, saying uh, how to play the harmonica, and he said, well. You buy a, a harmonica, uh, um, what was it called? A marine band. Yeah, your regular he would, standard. He would play, yeah. And uh, you follow the instructions, except you do everything backwards. You hold, <laughs> you hold the, the, the bass notes on the right, and when it says to blow, you suck. And when it says to suck, you blow, <laughs> which is not quite the case. But I've, apparently uh, a lot of southern blues singers played it upside down. Really? Yeah. And there is absolutely no advantage in it. No, it can't be. Like, no. I play the harmonica a bit myself. And oh, really? Yeah. I can't see any reason why I... No, there's I, no reason. <laughs> the only thing is that if you put it in the wrong way, you can't play it at all. Like, yeah. if, if I put it in the right way with the, with the, the bass on, on, the, on the left-hand side, I couldn't play it at yeah, all. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. No, it's not totally like Jimi Hendrix when you flip the guitar, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's different yeah. anyway. Well, it was Rambling Jack Elliott who, who told me that. Yeah. And he had, unfortunately for him, learned to play it the, the, the correct way. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you, know, like, you have this like strange pattern in like uh, an odd meter on, on the bazooki going and you have the harmonica upside down and, and you sing like uh, songs with 100 verses yes. very fast on top of it. Like it's, uh, it's quite a feat. Well, it takes a bit of practice. I'll yeah. give you that. All right. Yeah, yeah. And you have quite a extensive library of songs as well at this point yes but never more than about uh 25 in play at the one time you know like if i don't if i don't play a particular song 
it it falls out of my repertoire and I have to relearn it, yeah, which is imagine. a real pain. Like, <laughs> yeah. Know. It's interesting trying to like relearn from yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great if there's a record, if there's actually a, a, a video of it. Yeah, so you, you can see. You can see where, where your fingers are going, more or less. Yeah, and, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How do you record songs in the studio? Do you sing and play at the same time? No, I, I'd like to have, have done that, but they've never they've never invented a way of of um, separating uh, two microphones. You had a mic on the instrument and a mic on your voice. Yeah, and so you get that, too much that first that album "Rain on the Roof" was done like that, and it was really difficult to get a, a sound out of it because mm. if you got the bazooki sound or the instrument sounding right. The voice sounded terrible, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, that's always a challenge, yeah. I guess. But that must be almost even harder to sing on top. Or do you record the 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 singing part or the playing part first? Usually? Oh, you'd record the playing part first. Yeah, yeah. yes, it, it's it, it is it's different, you know. It, it must be very different. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be. I wouldn't do it in one take. I mean, I, I'd record the the, the compliment. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you you'd even make a mistake like that. You'd play a verse too too many or, or a verse too, yeah. <laughs> too few or something. And, yeah. and it was only when you came to sing it, yeah. you'd think, ah, ah, it's finished and I've still got a verse to go. Yeah. yeah. And like these days, it's easy enough to like stitch yes. things together and stuff. Of course, but yeah. back in the 60s and 70s and even the well, 80s, like things much, were very different. Much later, you know? in fact, yeah. If you, if you got something like that wrong, you have to go back and do it again. Yeah. yeah. Which, in many ways, like we could use a bit more of that these days. I find like, like recording music these days is almost it's almost too easy to change things. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. So you try and avoid that if possible. I mean, it would be it would be possible to record just one verse of of a song and yeah. then multiply it yeah, exactly, as many times yeah. as you needed to. Yeah. But uh, no, we don't do that. No. no, you can definitely hear the difference. Um. So, I mean, you've been in the game for quite a few years at this point. And, like, you played with so many people and been involved in so many things. Like, but it seems like, do you ever tire of it? It seems like you're, every other year you're up with a new album with some new collaboration or... Is, yes, harder, I, I, or is I it tire still... a little bit of collaborations. You okay. know, having to learn other people's songs, uh, which I did for, which I still do. But... Um, no, I prefer to. I, I think. I, I think if 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 I had to choose, I'd prefer to play solo. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I play with Donald Lunny, but he is. Uh, well, I'm busy myself, but he is mad busy all the time. Yeah. So that it's quite hard for us to get a new song into the repertoire. Can you imagine that? Yeah. yeah. And he's everywhere. Yeah. I saw you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as, as you say, my stuff is not very easy to. I mean, he's very quick. He's, he's brilliant, but um, we, we sound checks is really the the, the only rehearsal we, we we have time for. Yeah. yeah, but like you and Donald, you've been playing together since Planksty or before Planksty? Just even? before before Planksty, and we played as a duo, of, and I think we probably started about nineteen seventy seventy one. Yeah, yeah. Planksty started in seventy two. Must be a. Like I find when I, whenever I play music with people over like for ten years or something, after a while you get into the zone where you kind of can anticipate what the other people, the other person will do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can only imagine like if you play together for fifty years or something. Yeah, what that must be. Yeah, like. no, it, it's always been good playing with Donald, all right. Yeah. Um, 
And in fact, the reason I didn't drive to, to Norway this time was because I have to get back to uh, finally do the, the Andy Irvin and Paul Brady tour, yeah. which has been rescheduled, I think, three times already. And it looks like we're going to actually get it done this time. And Donal and, and Kevin Burke are, are playing with us. Oh, and they were on the original album? Yeah, that's right. It, it, it started off as... Uh, uh, a rerun of the album. So we play the album in the second half. We play all this stuff in the first half and we play the album in the second half. Uh, and it was to celebrate the 40th anniversary, I think. Huh. So, so that would have been, what, um, 2016. Okay. So we're now celebrating the 45th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great. Do you have many shows? Uh, no, not that many. Just uh, we, we've, we've got... Um, Castle Bar in, in the west of Ireland, and then we've got uh, Perth in Scotland oh, yeah. for some reason, hmm. and uh, um, Belfast, and then two in Dublin. So there's only, what, five shows, yeah. Great. Like, that's, that's true classic, that album, like you and Paul. Yeah, well, uh, yes, it's enough. And it's, it's nerve wracking, you know. It's I can, a bit, I bit can imagine that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So when it's over, I will be, I feel a lot freer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of albums, like uh, last year, I think uh, you actually released an album together with Lille Björn Nielsen, who we yeah, spoke up uh, yes, yes. in the beginning of the interview. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was an old recording from the from, early 90s, is it? Uh, it was from 90. Oh, wow, yeah, it was from 94, I think. Yeah. yeah. Good Lord, that's 28 years ago. I, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, it was released yesterday. No, sorry, yesterday, last year, I think. It, it was, yes, yes. Live, live in Telemark. Yeah, yes, and, and some of it's some of it's very good. And yeah, some, some yeah, of it's I agree. a bit dodgy, but some of it's really good. Yeah. yeah, and you didn't intend for it to become an album, I suppose, when you did the. No, the no, 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 it didn't at all. And uh, no, I'm I'm really glad we did that because, uh, um, you know, I I uh, yesterday finally remembered bringing to Norway all the out-of-date banknotes that I've accumulated okay. over the years. <laughs> and uh, I, I think we, uh, yeah, we, we had a couple of those albums in case, in case they said, you know, they'd, they'd be worried about money laundering. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'd written on, on the form. I was a musician. I'd earned this money over the last 30, 35 years, whatever. And if they were going to query that, I was going to show them the album cover. Because, I mean, <laughs> as you said, everybody in Norway knows who Lillebjörn is. Yeah. So uh, he was my reference point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, okay, so since we're kind of where we started, in a way, I, I feel like that's a... It's, it's a nice way okay. to wrap up. Good. Well, I, I, I have no idea how long we've been at it, but no, uh, it's been it's a right. pleasure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just very grateful for all the music you've put out. And oh, all the great you. songs you've Thanks, written. Sanders, and, thanks. And I hope you're not done yet. So. Uh, I hope I'm not done yet. So That's right. Yes. Well, I, I have actually, I might as well go out on this one. I recorded a Woody Guthrie album. Oh, really? And it's a lot of, it's, some of it are songs, most of it are songs that Woody never recorded or... Uh, or um, not, not, not too many of Woody's best-known songs are on it. And they're all done in kind of Andy Irvin odd style. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we're going to mix it uh, next 
Oh, in early December. And I hope it'll be out sometime next year. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Looking forward yeah. to that. Me too, me too. Okay. Uh, have a good day. And Thank good you very much. Thanks, Anders. It's been a, a pleasure to talk to you here. And I'd, uh, I'd like to listen to your music too. Oh, well, I'd be honored. And a bit scared, but all right. <laughs> oh, no, no. But, but uh, no, I'm, I, you asked me about um, other traditions, and, and you're quite right. I, did, I eventually uh, got very much uh, pleasure out of um, listening to uh, Norwegian music, Bulgarian yeah. music, Hungarian music. I, I'm, I have a gig in Budapest uh, in January uh, honoring the, the band Muzikash, who are yeah. big friends of mine. So I'm, I, I'm traveling the world honoring all my better known friends in their <laughs> own countries. <laughs> oh, that sounds great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bulgarian music can be intimidating, but like Norwegian music can also be intimidating. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's it's very special. Some it of is, those yeah. intervals are just uh, remarkable. You know, I find like this is a theory I have that some of the, the most the more oppressed a country is, like historically, the more interesting the folk music tradition could be. I mean? Could well be, yeah, yeah. Because uh, like you really need to. Uh, uh, have some way to uh, like emphasize your own uh, national. That's right. Uh, Culture, identity. Cultural identity. Yeah. So like yeah. Norway has been oppressed by the Danes, yeah. and like uh, obviously Ireland's been oppressed by the Brits, and yeah. yeah, Bulgaria's yeah. been oppressed by everyone th- yeah. throughout history. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. No, that's quite true. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, there are lots of traditions we know nothing about, unfortunately. It is a bit. Mm. Uh, a bit of a coincidence sometimes with what like how history yeah turns out absolutely yes i uh, i know very little about uh arab music for instance yeah i mean i really like it but i don't know i've never never delved into it but takes time takes time to read it more than one lifetime (laughs) and like i think like folk music traditions they need like good ambassadors like yourself oh that's good yeah um, yeah. Well, if I've done anything in that line, I'm I'm proud and pleased to have done it. Yeah, yeah great. Great. Okay, I'll let you go now, Andy. All right. Thank have you very day. much. And and uh, so, we, are, are you going to the, are you coming to the concert tomorrow? Or unfortunately, I have a, a horrible gig tomorrow. You have a gig have, yourself. Have okay. Like, yeah, yeah. That's the best excuse. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folk Music Podcast. As always, please visit the website to learn more at thefolkmusicpodcast.com. Follow us on social media and we would be very grateful if you considered supporting us via Patreon. The more people who help us out over there, the easier it gets for us to create great episodes like this one. So thank you very much. That's all for this week, but I'll see you back here very soon for another episode of the Folk Music Podcast. Bye-bye.